All right, how are we doing? Good. I am excited to be here, but also didn't think I was going to be here. thought I'd be having a baby right now, but this week, right? Who knows? We don't know. <laughs> During service. If I suddenly run out of the room, if she's still here, then that would just be weird, but if Melissa starts making a noise... well okay we are continuing in our series uh, where we're going verse by verse through the gospel of john Uh, today's sermon title is the light last week was the word this week is the light we have a lot to go through today and i'm really excited Let's go ahead and read this scripture. Today I'll be reading out of the ESV. There will be slides as well. John 1 verse 6 is where we're going to start. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He had came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is God's word. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your holy written word that you gave us so that we would know you and know what you desire for us. God, I pray that we would give this scripture the reverence and respect that it deserves. God, I I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and and speak a message to everyone's hearts that goes so much farther than I could ever say. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to anoint me as I I speak. Let this be a sermon that is, is all about you and not about me, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so... In this text here, John further expounds on two things he already spoke of in those first five verses. The word and the light. Right? The word and the light. He also starts to talk about the witness, John. Now we have the word, the light, and the witness. And so those are really our our three themes in this portion of scripture here. The word, the light, and the witness. Let's talk a little bit about this witness. John 1, 6 through 8, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is the gospel of John, but he's talking about a different John, not himself. 
He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So who is John, the author, speaking about? Who is this other John? This is John the Baptist. This is the witness, the the prophet who would prepare the way of the Messiah. He's a pretty amazing guy. Even Jesus speaks really highly of him. Yet, John here says he is not the light. All right? This John was really important, and, and maybe the tendency of, of believers um, would be to elevate him a little too highly, right? Because Jesus spoke really highly of him. He was the greatest prophet. He prepared the way for Jesus. He was this almost great reformer. He was shaking things up at the time. And so it would have been maybe a temptation, as it is today, to elevate this man a bit too high, to take his role a little too seriously. And so I want to kind of respect what John is doing here. He mentions John the Baptist because he can't talk about Jesus without mentioning him. But then he says, but he's not the light. Let's talk some more about the light. So we're going to talk more about John the Baptist, really dive into who he was and what his role is in the next portion when John dives into it more. But right now, I want to respect what John is doing and say, hey, he was really important. He was a great guy, but he was not the light. He's not the point. Let's get back to the point, the light, the word. Now, I think that's interesting because we live in a a culture today where uh, pastors are elevated a lot, like Instagram and stuff like you see these videos, you know what I'm saying? Like we almost in a way have this tendency of, of elevating them as celebrities, elevating them to this point where it's them. It becomes about the pastor. And maybe it's not even the pastor who feels that way, but the people who, who watch the videos like, and share them sometimes can idolize them and hold them up a little too highly. And then what happens is if that pastor makes a mistake, let's say a really serious mistake, he falls into something. People's faith are devastated, right? Why, are their, why is their faith devastated when that happens? It's because they elevated a person to too high of a level. When the Bible is really clear that we're all broken people and that these people who maybe have a role of proclaiming, of being a witness, and it even says, John here, that people believed through him but not in him. Right, And I think we make that mistake where sometimes we start not believing the gospel through the person who teaches us, but we start believing in the person who teaches us. And that's a, that's a grave error because a witness is, is all they're doing is sharing the truth about the one who actually has the power. Sharing the truth about the real light. You know, John is a light reflecting, though, the light of Jesus. He's the witness Jesus. He's proclaiming the way for Jesus. He pointed to Jesus. And what I love about John is he made it clear that Jesus was the point. That he who was before me, the one who comes after me, was before me. He was pre-existent, divine, son of God. Let's point to him, give him all the glory and honor and praise. And so John, the author here, says, hey, this guy, John the Baptist, was great. Like, he prepared the way for Jesus. But Jesus was the whole point. John the Baptist is my personal favorite person in Scripture besides Jesus, of course. Because of the role that he had 
and the humility that he displayed. I said I wouldn't go too much into it, but John gets to prepare the way for Jesus. And at the time, John is shaking things up, really shaking things up. He's baptizing people in repentance. People are, are growing and learning. I mean, he was preaching in the desert and people would come to him, right? Like that shows how much influence that he had. It shows how charismatic of a speaker he must have been. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, he would have gladly said, all of you need to follow him. It's all about him. This is the one that I was preparing. Everything, you know, we were just singing this song. Forgive me for if I've made anything else about, besides Jesus. That's the whole point of the song. If it becomes about anything else, if it becomes about me, if it becomes about our plans instead of Jesus, that's wrong. But John showed the heart here that even with great influence, he could show great humility. And that's what he does here. I would say that this is the same call of every pastor, elder, deacon, leader, influencer, discipler, and even regular church attendant. The point is to lay all at the feet of Jesus for his glory. Amen? Point to him. Not let anything be about us, but all about him. All right, let's continue to read here. John 1, nine, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world... And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. John had this ministry of proclaiming the way. Proclaiming Jesus as as the one who would come and save the world. This is the Lamb of God. He's the light. He's the word. He wanted people to receive him. But it says that when Jesus came... People did not receive him. They even, what, they rejected him. There is a somber tone in this verse. Can you hear it? Do you see the tragedy here that John, the author, is trying to express? The word, the light, the one who made all, who who holds all things together comes to the earth in a physical form where we can see him, and he was rejected. If you don't see this as a tragedy, you're missing the point. It's even more of a calamity when you realize what it means if they had received. Listen here, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen, those who received him became children of God. But those who reject him do not. And it's a tragedy. Why is it a tragedy? Well, three things we can learn from this text about, about this opportunity to become a child of God. The first is... God's desire is salvation. God's desire is that you would become a child of light. This is what he wants for you. And so as much as it is a tragedy for us to read this verse, it's also, it must break God's heart to be rejected. I mean, we've all like experienced rejection, right? And maybe single guys are like, yeah, every weekend. (laughs) 
right? Uh, but God created all, holds all, and has a love, a perfect love for his creation that we can't even like comprehend. Yet he's rejected this break God's heart. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's desire is that all would receive him. And it's not like what he's offering is, is bad. What he's offering is the best thing ever. Life, truth, and even to become the children of God, to be heirs. What he's offering is the most amazing thing. God is offering us the best gift, yet people reject it. It's a tragedy. It must break God's heart because God created you for so much more. He created you to be a child, to live in perfect relationship. And I think we, we, we talk about how God is is um, all about rules sometimes in the church. And we get caught up on, on these rules. We get caught up on the religion. And, and then the, the world looks in and goes, I don't know. I don't really want what you're selling. It doesn't appeal to me. And sometimes that's the church's fault for the way that we portray the gospel. God wants you to be a child. He wants what's best for you because God sincerely loves you. So if you do receive, second, second point, is there is a change of ownership. All right, we talked about the light and the dark last week. There's the light and the dark. We were in the dark, but the light has come now. Right? The thing about light is it has to be brought to darkness. It doesn't just naturally occur. Darkness is what's there. Light has to be brought there's a change of ownership. 1 Thessalonians 5 5. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. There's a transfer of ownership. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a child of light. You become a child of God. There's a transfer of ownership. You're no longer owned by darkness. It's an amazing thing to not be owned by darkness anymore. You know, if you listen to people's testimonies, what you would hope to hear for those who have experienced this is, I was dead in my sins. I was lost and I was without hope. But there was something that changed in me when I experienced the love of Christ. That darkness fleed. And now I'm in the light. That is, that is what God wants to do in your life, is chase out the darkness, bring the light, and make you a child in perfect relationship with Him. If you haven't experienced that, it is the best thing, because I've, I've been in darkness, and darkness eats at your soul. It weighs on your heart. But light, when you really experience who God is, when you're really in relationship with Him, the most amazing thing the third thing is that light is meant to be seen light is meant to be seen and he said Jesus said hey you don't put a light under a bushel right 
a weird word we don't use anymore. You don't cover up light. You don't turn on a light and then go cover up the light, right? That wouldn't make sense. Like if, if you walked into your home and you like turned a light on and then like got some kind of contraption and put it on top of the light and like screwed it into the ceiling, that would be weird, right? Why? Okay, if you don't want the light, just turn it off, you weirdo. But a point that is often made in Scripture is that we receive this light, this love from God, this profound thing, and that we do something as, as crazy as to cover it up. And light is meant to be seen. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Marvelous light. For all those who receive Jesus Christ, it says that you're chosen, that you're a royal priest. Man, that's like double. Right? Like you're a priest, but you're also royal. Which was not a thing in the Old Testament. You had the royal family, and you had the priest. They were separate bloodlines. But in, through Christ, we receive this calling as a royal priesthood, an unholy nation, a people for his own possession, so that what? Did you, did you catch it? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Has this been your experience? Were you called out of darkness? Do you, do you realize the darkness of the world? Do you realize the darkness of your sin? If that's been your experience, you would know how marvelous the light truly is. And you would feel like, hey, I need everybody else to experience this. We would proclaim, we would prepare the way for Jesus to work in people's lives. Because here's the thing, like that is our role, that's it. We can't change people. We can't save people. Like I can't, can you? If you figure that out, you let me know, right? Because it's not possible. We can't change people, we can't do it. It's God who does it. But we can proclaim, and we can prepare the way, and we can do everything we can. To let them know how much God loves them. If you're here today and you're like, and you don't know for sure, right? You're like, I don't know. I kind of like the darkness sometimes. Alright? I don't know if I buy this whole thing. I want you to know that it is a marvelous light to know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It is an amazing thing to have a personal relationship with the King of the universe who created you and loves you dearly. Being a child of light isn't putting on your church clothes, doing some churchy stuff. It isn't just following a rule book. It's not living your life in fear of some angry God. Being a child of light is having a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Experiencing more love, joy, and peace than you could ever imagine. And if that's not what you're experiencing, it's time today 
to run back to your father. Go back to him and experience the love, the light, the grace that he has for you. We see the story of the prodigal son who takes his inheritance and he goes and blows it. He makes a bunch of stupid decisions. How many of you have made stupid decisions? I've made stupid decisions, right? And then sometimes we think, man, like, God can't forgive me. I knew better. And yet I still did those stupid things. The message of the prodigal son is that, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done. The father is always waiting with arms open wide for you to return. To embrace you. And then to continually bless you. The marvelous light of being a child of God. Christians are not perfect people. They are just forgiven people. Who continually need more forgiveness. Amen. (laughs) Next we see this section where he further expounds on the grace that the word, the light shows us. John 1.14 And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus is this word, the eternal, pre-existent, divine, part of the triune Godhead, Son of God. Right? This is who we're talking about. And this Jesus, this Christ comes, the word comes in the flesh, as a person. Right, we just finished up Christmas season. That's what we celebrated. The word becoming flesh. Came as a baby. Lived a perfect life. He lived a perfect life. And was the perfect sacrifice of the cross. Bearing our penalty for sin. And rose again so that we would have newness for life. Okay, so this is what Jesus did says a few things here that john the baptist is acknowledging the pre-existence of jesus and so he says the, the one who comes after me the one that i am proclaiming the way that i am the one i'm preparing the way for he is he ranks before me because he was literally before me right he was the pre-existent god who's now in the flesh who is here So we see that the pre-existence of Christ is where his authority comes from. We talked a lot about that last week. John is the greatest uh, prophet, but Jesus is greater because he's not just a prophet. He's much, much more. He is the word, the logos, the creator, the divine pre-existent, divine son of God. Who comes in the flesh. And then it talks about how Moses gave us the law which showed us our sin. 
But Jesus came and showed the grace and the truth. He completed the law. He made it so that we could be forgiven of our sins and experience new life. And then it says this. I want to reread this verse. John 1.16 For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. What I love about this verse is that he credits the fullness of Christ or who Christ is for the work of grace, right? It is only Christ who has this ability to give us grace upon grace. It can come from no other place. It can't come from any great teacher. It can't come from any great prophet. It can't come from um, a really good Christian. The only person who can give us grace upon grace is Jesus Christ because of who he is. Grace is maybe the most profound word in scripture. We think of grace sometimes as something we say before we eat. We think of grace sometimes as merely forgiveness or mercy. Um, Grace is a lot more than that. Grace is power in your life. Grace is, is everything that God has for you, not just the forgiveness, but the new life, the way, all the truth. God pours out his grace upon us, and it's not just forgiveness. It is something that we can experience and live in for the entirety of our lives. There's uh, three things that we can learn about grace. There's many things. I could have written a much longer list on grace. But these are three things that I believe we have to know about grace. The first is that grace is undeserved. Romans 4. Because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Here he's saying it's not just about the Israelites, the, the, the children of God, the, the people of God, the nation. But all those who have faith are children of God. They're the it's truly those who have faith that are the children of Abraham, who are the, then children of God. But here's the thing. It is through faith and grace that we have this. It's, as, as John said, it's not by our, our willpower. It's not our blood. It's not um, the flesh. It is only by the grace of God that we can become children of God and live in perfect relationship with God. Grace grace, is undeserved. You don't deserve it. You can't work for it. All you can do is receive it. Grace is sufficient. This is really important. 
Grace is sufficient, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God says to Paul here, when Paul is suffering a physical ailment, that my grace is sufficient for you. Paul wanted God to remove this physical ailment that he had. He had something wrong, and we don't know exactly what it was. If it was an injury or a disease, we don't know. But God would not remove it, because God wanted to teach Paul a lesson that he did not have power in his flesh. God did not want Paul to take confidence in his ability. Even Paul struggled with that. Because we struggle with doing things in our own strength. We struggle with trying to walk out the Christian life in our own ability. God allows Paul to have this ailment to constantly remind him that his flesh is not enough, but God's grace is. Paul was accomplishing great and mighty things for God. And I I believe that God did not want it to get to Paul's head because he was an important instrument that he was using. But he's like, I can't let you think it's you. I can't let you think it's you because my grace is sufficient. That's where you need to live. That's where you need to get your power and strength is from your, it's from my grace, not your flesh. So what did Paul do? He learned to boast in his weakness. How many of you regularly boast in your weakness? <laughs> it's not a thing, right? I don't know that I've heard many people, if any, <laughs> that walk up and be like, hey, you know what I'm really bad at? Let me tell you. Let me tell you all the things I'm really bad at. And, and just start bragging about their weaknesses. It's not what we brag about. Right? We don't Instagram our worst moments. We Instagram our best moments. We don't Instagram and, and, and Facebook our failures. Hey, you guys, look at how badly I'm going to go live. Look at how badly I screwed up my work situation. Anybody do that? Like, look at how badly I just handled myself in this argument with my wife. Hey, look at how badly I've been ignoring my child. Anybody? Do you go live with any of those things? Do you snap them to your friends? No, we don't. Because we like to live in the flesh. We like to be confident of ourselves. Hey, look at how much I'm killing it here. Look at what great a meal I made. Nobody's like Instagramming the burnt ones. We love to do things in our flesh. We love that confidence in self. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That's where the power comes from. That's where the strength comes from. That's where real ministry comes from. This is even more profound to me. There's confidence in grace. 
Grace brings confidence instead of shame. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How many of you are ready to face God and answer for your actions? That is a scary thought. But it isn't if we know grace. If we truly know that all of my sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ. My identity is not in myself anymore. I don't take pride in my flesh and my abilities anymore. I take pride in the love of God. I take pride in who God has made me, the work he's doing through me. That brings confidence to where we can approach the throne of God. Even with our weaknesses... And say, God, I thank you for the grace. I need some more. (laughs) That's how we approach the throne of God. With confidence because of the grace we've received. So that we can receive more grace. Grace upon grace. Jesus apportions grace, it says. If you need more grace. And I'm not just talking about more prayers before a meal. I'm not just talking about, you know, more forgiveness. But if you need power in your life. If you struggle with pride and, and you struggle to wanting to do things in your own strength and power. A lot of feedback today. Uh, if you struggle there, you need more grace. So go to the throne of God in, in the form of prayer. Throne of grace. With your weaknesses. And say, God, look, like... I don't know what to do. I've tried it on my own and I'm failing. I need more of your grace. I need more of your strength. Please bless it. Please give it. God forbid that we go to the throne of God and try to brag on our own abilities, brag on our own successes. Because you know what? God's not looking for us to to approach Him and go, Hey God, here's a list of good things I did for you. You're welcome. Right? The Bible talks about two men who come to pray. One man comes with elegant or elegant eloquent you know it's the second time i made that mistake in a sermon <laughs> elegant words eloquent words theologically sound doctrine right he comes and he approaches god and he's like you know using all that big verbiage like justification and sanctification and, and you know and he approaches god and he, he's he's like thank you god that i'm not like the other people Thank you, God, for, for how great I am. And, and uh, brags of his own successes in, a, in his prayer. And a second man comes and he simply kneels before God. And he weeps and beats his chest. Says, forgive me, for I am a sinner. That's what God's looking for. 
No, he's not looking for you to be confident in who, who you are, to brag about what you've done. But to approach him and go, God, I'm a, I'm a sinner. can't remember who said it, but I, I read somewhere that the holier a man gets, the more aware he is of his sin. He just starts seeing it all over the place. Even the areas he thought he was doing good, he's like, ah, I got pride there too. I didn't even realize it. Dang it. Wait, I was doing that for myself? Ah, I didn't even realize it. You start realizing just how imperfect you are the closer you get to God. The closer you are to God, I think the more you're asking for forgiveness. Grace upon grace. You know what's amazing? God is limitless and he has unlimited grace. You can't out his grace. So if you need that today, if you need grace upon grace, if you got to confess some stuff, do that during worship. Say, Lord, I, man, I think, you know, this thing came to mind. I'm not telling you to go home and muster up some strength and fight harder. I'm telling you to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm helpless without you. Please give me grace. If you feel like you're stuck in darkness, there's light, marvelous light. And if you would receive it, let me tell you, you would truly know how marvelous it is to know God, the creator of the universe in a personal way, to receive his forgiveness, his love, his grace in your life, and then to have a whole new identity as a child of God. That's what we want today. So, to whatever extent that you need his grace, because we all need it, I need it desperately. I can't preach this sermon without his, his grace. I did not wake up this morning in the best mood. I did not grab the trailer in the best mood. <laughs> right? But by God's grace, I'm able to stand up here and, and preach, not of my, own, uh, of my own strength. Whatever extent you need grace, the light in your life, God wants to give it. God asked for it. You've got to be willing to receive. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word the light, the love, the grace that you want to pour out upon us right now. Holy Spirit, would you come in this room and convict our hearts of the things that we don't even realize are sin. Convict us of the areas where we're being prideful or selfish where we don't even realize it. Lord, convict us of the things we do see in a stronger way where we're more willing to give them over to you. Lord, we need grace. We need strength. We can't move forward and do anything of any real meaning apart from your grace. Jesus, I pray that you would give more grace to each and every one of us as we ask for it in this moment through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray.